0: The Sydney Festival podcast was recorded on the lands of the Gadigal people, whose sovereignty was never ceded. We pay our respects to their elders, past, present, and those who are yet to emerge, and thank them for their wisdom. For 45 years, Sydney Festival has brought you bold performance, cultural celebrations, art, and big ideas to our sticky Sydney summers. I'm Wesley Enoch, the Artistic Director of Sydney Festival 2021. Our program this year is called Australian Made, and it's mostly about recovering after the year we've had. But it's also about connecting with our community, about reinvigorating our incredible local art scene, and to remind us of how resilient we really are. So let's get started. I'm speaking here with Darcy Grant, who's the director of The Pulse, which will be performing at the Headland here at Sydney Festival. Darcy Gravity and the Myths, amazing company touring the world all over the place. Tell us a little bit about how it got started, where it
1: came from, and what the big ambitions were. Sure. So Gravity and the Myths was founded by five friends uh, in 2009, uh, and they were all uh, youth circus kids. So they came out of Circuits in Adelaide. They started with a work called Free Fall and then A Simple Space, which is still, well, used to be touring the world full-time uh, before everything shut down.
0: And I know that um, people who have come to Sydney Festival have seen uh, Simple Space and uh, Backbone, which is another piece that was co-commissioned between Sydney Festival, Adelaide Festival, uh, and that's been touring the world as well. Is that right?
1: Yeah, that's right. Uh, Gravity actually has three works that are usually uh, touring the world full-time. So we've had three companies simultaneously delivering these big tours Um, which is actually how we end up uh, being able to make a work as big as The Pulse because we had 30 artists engaged. They were just on separate shows. And then when COVID hit, yeah, we were all grounded and uh, in the same space. So it seemed like a crazy but good idea to try and make something with everybody.
0: That's amazing because, you know, you hear stories of artists who have been sitting around and lucky if they got JobKeeper, even luckier, you know, if they were able to get JobSeeker as well. But you... We're able to access JobKeeper and you've made this show the pulse. I mean, what's it like having, how many are there, 36, 38 acrobats on stage?
1: Yeah, so there's theres 31 acrobats 31, and, 30, and a 30 voice vocal ensemble as well. The whole um, adage that, you know, with size comes, uh, you start, to, everything starts to slow down. I've certainly found, you know, just getting the singers uh, in microphones before a run. Uh, getting everybody through a costume alterations called these things take so much more time than I'm used to. So it's been amazing. The other thing is that um, listening to 30 people sing while 30 people do incredible Physical feats on each other is one of the most satisfying things I've ever had the pleasure to watch.
0: Well, tell us a little bit about what we what we should expect with the pulse. I mean, it's being performed at the Headland, which is an outdoor venue, and you know, I'm sorry to do that to you in the in the heat of summer. Put you, put a whole lot of acrobats in in the very humid Sydney summer. But what should we expect?
1: I actually think people will reflect on on this moment in time as a moment that really changed Australian circus and acrobatics because the you you would never normally get that amount of training and contact um. So, JobKeeper, the company got JobKeeper, and we were able to keep people doing about twenty to twenty-five hours per week of work. Um, we've been very busy trying to uh, change how we do things and how we how we're going to survive in the future. The most exciting thing about um, about this time is really what has happened to the acrobatics and physicality inside the company. the The level that we've reached in this time, that they've reached, I won't claim their credit, um, that they've reached by by working so closely together over this time um, is just astounding. Uh, we've never seen anything like it in Australia.
0: Can you give us a sense of an example of that? What, what's, what's changed because of all of this time you've got to spend together?
1: Well, as you know, Wes, I am a washed up acrobat. Um, so I know a bit about a bit about acrobatics. Um, but when I was when I was in professional companies in my early 20s, if you had three people standing on each other, you were at the pinnacle in Australia. It was, you know, absolutely astounding to be able to do that. There's a saying in Gravity and Other Myths that uh, now a three high is the new two high. So everyone can do multiple versions of standing in three. There's four or five combinations of people who can stand in a four high and there's even a five high being trained at the moment. so there's there's this absolutely exponential kind of shift in possibility. Uh, and, and not just that, there's new physical vocabularies. There's a, there's a vocab that we, we're using at the moment. So if you pictured two people standing on each other and the person on the shoulders of the bottom person picked up another person who was walking past them and spun in a circle, kind of like a dizzy whizzy that you give your kids in the yard, but stacked two people high. What? Uh, <laughs> we, we do that, but then they, then they can pass that person who's hanging and being flung around to every, every other stack of two people on stage simultaneously. So we can have uh, 15 sets of two people high throwing one person around in Outrageously out of control circles. So that just uh, sounds so extraordinary.
0: (laughs) I mean, do you get a sense that internationally that this is also what's happening?
1: Honestly, most mostly when I look around, things look pretty quiet. It it feels like, um, and I think maybe the you know how lucky we are in Australia to have kind of controlled COVID so well, means that we actually can be together and train together. Whereas lots of people like my, my friends and colleagues in Germany, you know, three days ago, they went back into the most serious lockdown that they've had since the whole thing began. Um, whereas Adelaide particularly uh, has been, except for that small blip a few weeks ago where we <clears throat> we had to sort of cool everything off for about five days right before we started rehearsals mind you it was terrifying we've been just so lucky so so i think a lot of a lot of why we're enjoying this kind of absolute sort of boon of physical time together is mostly because we're in a really lucky position of actually being able to touch each other and and use our greatest you know commodity which is touch
0: so let's go to the show itself it's called the pulse now what's the starting point for that why is it called pulse where's that come from
1: we needed to make a work that was responsive to the time and this is a work that has been built in COVID time. Pulse it came from an interest that we sort of had in waves and cycles. Everything around us is, is some kind of wave or, or pulse, uh, light, matter. Um, everything's kind of causing and affecting. It's also, you know, very obviously uh, what happens inside your chest and in your bloodstream to keep you alive. So I think the the two kind of main themes of investigation in the show are, kind of emergent properties we're really interested in the physics of things how how things cause and affect each other uh, whether that's uh, you know cosmically up in the heavens or um, between people how people cause and affect each other I think that's probably what gravity and other myths do really well and then the other thing is the moment that we went into lockdown we noticed very very quickly how much we rely on touch as artists and being able to touch each other, is absolutely foundational to to what we do and why we do what we do, to be around people and work together in close proximity to realize things that you would normally couldn't. These two themes of kind of emergence and cause and effect, uh, plus being deprived of touch and wanting to kind of uh, tell a story about how important touch is to us and how um, you know, for for one of a better metaphor, um, for people in general after something, uh, after a year like this, and and being deprived of kind of this, you know, close community, being able to celebrate that resilience and, and being able to kind of achieve amazing things together in the form of elite physical things.
0: That's amazing because we, we don't hear many positive stories about COVID, do we? I mean, you get a sense of how bad it's been in the artistic community in terms of, you know, economics and things. It's given us a moment of reflection is really important. And to hear that story then, um, Darcy, just about, you know, how Gravity and Other Myths has come together and, and in, in fact, is using it as a bit of of an accelerator of both skills and knowledge and creating a show of this size. This idea of 30 acrobats and a 30-piece choir on stage, I mean, that's pretty full on. Will this ever tour outside of Australia, do we think? I mean, is this something (laughs) that we'll see a couple of times in Australia and that's it?
1: I thought potentially at the beginning that, you know, we're sort of working at the moment in this, um, in what I'm calling a, a time of spiritual engagement rather than financial engagement. It's like we need to have things on the horizon to be able to look forward to. Um, and the, the money is kind of secondary as long as we feel like we can still practice our craft, et cetera, et cetera. When we first started talking about this work and, you know, getting it made, I really thought it was a spiritual engagement project for for to keep us together and focused on something long-term. Uh, but as this piece is emerging, you know, where um, people keep coming up to me, the, the key creatives, and they're, they're just saying there's no way this isn't going to tour. There's no way that people will be able to deny the kind of the scale of and, you know, and impact of this work. And whilst I, I don't quite trust what they're saying, I think – it should have a life, and I think it will. You know, if we're importing uh, huge French and, and German operas um, every year for their international arts festivals uh, because of their quality and what they what they do for us, then I think um, maybe the same will be true for this work uh, and, and it will also have legs and, and go overseas and tour.
0: Well, I must say, I mean, Gravity and Other Myths is an example of this as well. We are known internationally uh, uh, for our circus. I mean, Australia Australian circus is leaders in terms of some of the discussions. I remember the conversation about um, Cirque du Soleil uh, in the early days of Circus Oz, that they came and watched Circus Oz and went back and helped establish some of the thinking that Cirque du Soleil, we've been leaders for for decades in this way. Do do you think that we as uh,
1: Australians
0: underestimate the power of circus? Yeah, absolutely. I think
1: it's limitless. You know, I think if, if you're talking about what the potential of circus is, um, you're talking about what the potential of the body is um, and, and and what the body can do. Uh, you know, I think we're much more used to the idea that dance can tell a story. Um, forms like dance can tell a, a very um, clear story or evoke, um, you know, very clear emotions inside a person. Um, and I think uh, because circus has such a clear image when you say that word circus in your mind, a very clear image of what circus is comes into it. Whereas uh, it is a form has evolved past its stereotype. I, th- I think, you know, when people ask me what kind of circus uh, we do, is it a bit like Cirque du Soleil? That's kind of the always the first question. I um, mean, all you can really say is, yeah, kind of. It's sort of one of those funny things where, um, I really relish as a as a circus practitioner to be able to cross all those borders. You can have you know theatricality. You can have dance. The lines between all of these forms are so blurred these days that really you've got every option. You you can do anything in circus, and um, you know. yeah, it's kind of
0: limitless. Well, I love this idea that often, um, well, you've described yourself also as genre-defying circus, that it kind of goes beyond the different genres (laughs) and this notion of kind of bringing it up. I I want to talk a little bit about you as a maker. Now, Mm. you you, you describe yourself as a washed-up acrobat. Poor thing. Mm. It just means you're clean. That's good. That's very good. (laughs) (laughs) That's right. right. But this notion of going, what is it that drives you to be a maker, a a, a director, a divine with a group that is often very ensemble based by the nature of of risk in
1: circus for me it's always about people and stories in particular uh, working really closely with people and and getting to kind of create a really close team uh, that are invested in delivering something that is important to them that that's kind of what makes me tick, I think. And for me, you know, being uh, an acrobat myself, having experience in in lots of different ensembles over the years, I was at Circa out of Brisbane, um, who are another incredible contemporary circus uh, out of Brisbane. Probably one of the first, you know, that really took the world by storm. I, I caught the bug. I caught the bug of what it is to kind of think about things that you're really interested in, that that you're re- that you really want to say or express. Um, unpacking them with a group of people, grappling with that, and then uh, and hopefully telling some kind of story about that that really touched or affected people.
0: <laughs> well, I think, too, looking at circus, I mean, me having not been a, a physical performer in that way, I just see all the risk. I see <laughs> all the danger all the time but when yeah. you see it, you go, Oh no, we can go a little further. I mean, really, really I mean, that's a little bit masochistic, isn't it? The idea of pushing these people and pushing the the limits of the human body further and further and further. I mean, do you ever stop yeah. and just go, Oh, that's too far? I mean, how do you make sure there's a there's a safety in there as well as a, an addiction to the risk and the
1: adrenaline? Our worlds as acrobats are structured around sort of risk mitigation and progressions, we call them. So, you know, if you want a one handed handstand, there are, uh, you know, Hundreds of progressions before that moment happens, um, and and that's what makes a good teacher and a and a good student is following those progressions to the end until you can stand on one hand, um, and there is no faking it. I think that's the other thing. You know, you can't you can't pretend to do a one-handed handstand. It, it does take that many hours. It does take all of that effort. We do occasionally touch that point where we get overexcited, and then you have a bit of a scare, like someone has a bit of a tumble. We're we're very lucky in Gom we haven't had any major injuries ever um, but for instance on tour you know you're, you're often delivering six or seven shows per week a new town somewhere in Europe or North America every week um, there are people getting the flu on tour there are people getting injuries there, there is the normal drama of life, except that you're delivering crazy acrobatics every night on stage. Along with that, uh, you know, we were on tour in in uh, France, I think it was last year, with Backbone, and one of our four highs did fall down. The one, that, a four high that had never ever fallen down. Just something happened. You know, a light was in the wrong place. There was a bit of a wobble, um, and it came down. and uh, the three high uh, position, the person who's three people up, not the four high position because everyone tends to look for that person to catch on the floor. They're always looking after that, but the three high position um, came down and he hit the ground. Like he, he actually did hit the ground and we all reflect on it as one of the darkest moments of, of you know, our professional lives. He, it was fine. In the end, he actually got up and brushed himself off and kept doing the show. Those things do happen and they're incredibly sobering and and they do make you have to really think and give respect, you know, to what's going on and not take anything for granted. Um, And it's very easy to become casual once you've done it, you know. And this is what I was
0: saying, the the pulse to this idea of the human body, the humanness of everything, that also that kind of psychological need for absolute discipline of the mind as well as the body. Is extraordinary. Yes. Do, do we find I mean you can you can say as as the body ages and there yep. you no longer <clears> can <throat> jump as high or climb as high or be as strong how does it feel to transition then from from being an acrobat and I imagine you're still very fit and you can still do a lot of things but <clears> as you get older do you get that sense that uh, as physical performers do you grieve for the loss of those kind of skills?
1: Uh, it's very different for every person, but I would say you know there are there are a few very common kind of experiences that people have. Often, when you start circus, you're a kid. Um, if you if you go into it uh, at a professional level, you've had a lot of training. Um, so through your formative years as a teenager and and in, in, in your early twenties, your identity becomes incredibly bound to what your body can do. When I was transitioning off stage. Um, into uh, my directorial role, I, I definitely had, yeah, a, real, a really hard time going, well, what am I without my, you know, these acrobatics? What am I without these other things? You do have to sort of grapple uh, with those things. The, the other thing I think worth mentioning in there is that uh, circus has a really strange, um, almost reverse career trajectory to what other artists have. We often expect people to be at the top of their artistic and creative game when they're at their physical peak, which is in their early twenties or, or mid twenties. Um, so um, whereas you know, a painter or a musician or a singer, it's often in your forties, fifties, sixties, that you truly find your, you know, y- y- your peak um, of your practice. The other complication in there is that when it's time to step on off stage, you might not uh, be at your most wise or completely in your own skin yet. So it's a really interesting one. And I think lots of people struggle, but I personally, um, I feel like the key is you've you've got to have outside your physical practice. You've got to have another kind of uh, creative practice that, that sort of is parallel because for me, it was, uh, making on the outside and also taking photos, the, these other things that kind of you can actually pour that energy into so that so it isn't just a void when you stop doing it.
0: Well, that idea that you're an award-winning kind of a photographer as well as a director, as well as a washed-up acrobat. I mean, <laughs> this idea of a masterpiece then, what does a masterpiece look like for you? What's the thing that you go, oh, that's the holy grail.
1: That's what I want to be able to make. You told me last time we met that, um, you know, it's something always worth thinking about, you know, what you're doing in 15 years time, what, what that piece of work would be um, at the moment, uh, because my because I'm making the pulse at the moment and I'm just so inspired by choral music um, and big ensembles. Um, that's where my head is at. But I also, you know, I, I really love small, intimate works, you know, um, so, so I think it's still definitely directing circus, theatre, dance, all of those forms that I've sort of dabbled in. You know, I, I predominantly um, practice in circus, but I, I'm really interested in as i say people my my idea of you know the the biggest bestest masterpiece is probably just what is the next amazing relationship that i form with a great artist that feels like you know uh, an insatiable itch that i have to scratch i don't feel like i have those um you know i, I never feel like i have a, an ambition that is tied to a a particular kind of vision it's sort of um it's usually intuition-led.
0: Well, look, I think you, you're a great artistic force. And what I've loved uh, watching your development as an artist and as a maker is see how insightful you are about what the human body can do. And actually, this great sense of joy and excitement at the risk and the uh, and the innovation that you've brought to especially Gravity and other myths. So thank you, Darcy, for your, all your insights. I've been talking to Darcy Grant, who's the creative lead, the, the director of The Pulse, which you can see at the headland here at sydney festival darcy thanks so much we'll talk soon
1: thanks for having me Wes.
0: thanks for listening for more information on sydney festival head to sydneyfestival.org.au and be sure to subscribe to the sydney festival channel wherever you get your podcasts